these things out because uh, Dr. Long and I had no conversations about this, but that's going to go perfectly with uh, our sermon today. Uh, he, he knows what he's doing, and he often works these things out this way. So uh, first, let me apologize for my tardiness. Um, Charles Covington and his family, they had their first grandbaby this week, and he called and asked if I could come preach. And I thought, man, yeah, I can do that. I can preach a quick sermon and be out of there, and y'all know me well enough to know that quick sermons are not in my, not in my doing. So here I am, um, but, but we got it done, so I apologize, but uh, we have the opportunity now to hear God's word, and so let's do that together. I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. We're going to finish up this, this passage that we've been in for a while now. Uh, and, and we're going to end it uh, with one last, one last warning, one last call uh, as, the, as the choir has just reminded us to, to take one step to, to follow the Lord. And so let's, let's hear this passage together. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. This is God's word. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the, st- the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we... Come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word. Uh, We pray for guidance. Uh, We pray that you would lead us in the way that we should go, uh, that you would teach us. Uh, Lord, uh, my sin is great, and it is ever before me. And so I pray that as we consider these words, as I speak, that that you would keep me from that sin, that you would use even the weakness of my words to, to penetrate to our hearts, Lord, that the Spirit would work in our hearts and really teach us the truths of these words. Uh, Lord, this is a passage that that we all need to hear. We all need to to hold tightly to. And so I pray that that you would help us, that you would be our guide and our strength in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Fruit, treasure, and foundations. You have heard me say many times that that maybe the the greatest challenge facing the church, at least in our local context, uh, is not persecution, uh, it's not even pressure from the outside world around us, uh, but it is the the nominal place that Christianity has taken in the lives of of so many. You know, if you were to go door-to-door in our community, I suspect that the majority of people would profess to be Christians uh, and that many of them would profess a a local church body as their own, whether they have actually gone to that church in many years or not. Now, on the one hand, there is a blessing in that. You know, we live in a place where Christianity, to some degree or another, is still the norm. 
people still, to some degree, value what the Bible has to say. They value those principles, even if they don't study it, even if they don't necessarily go to church on a regular occasion. The danger, of course, is that there is a large difference between claiming the things of Christ just on a general level uh, and following him as our master, as our Lord and Savior. There's a big difference between wanting him solely to fix all of our problems and then, on the other hand, taking up our cross daily and following him, following him wherever he will lead us. So many people in the Bible Belt today are lost, and they are in desperate need for conversion, and yet they think that they are safe because they either grew up in the church or they prayed a prayer at some point in their past, or they go to church on special occasions. Even more dangerous are those who show up to churches week after week, who tithe, who go to Sunday school, who sit under the teaching of the word, simply because that's just what they do, simply because that's what their parents did, simply because church is a kind of social club where you get your news or you get to, to see the people that you love. For many of us, church is just what we do as, as southern, respectable people. It just fills our lives. In either case, whether we're those that, that come week after week or whether we're those that, who don't come at all, there, there's no real commitment and there's no tangible difference that Jesus really makes in our daily walk. People live how they want to with the hope, I guess, that that in the end Jesus will swoop in like that superhero that Ben talked about and that that he will save the day. So many want the, the benefits of Christ, but they don't want Jesus himself. Even more than that, they don't want to live under his rule, under his kingship. And it's a rule and a kingship that, that we have seen over and over again in these commands here in Luke chapter 6. Now, I don't want to, have to, I don't want to review this again because you've heard it so many times, but just remember that, that Jesus has said to us in this sermon that we are to forsake the world, all the things that, that it attends to, all the things that it holds dear. Those are the things that, that we are to turn away from. We're to be to transformed as we live in the reality of what he has done for us, to show mercy, to show forgiveness and kindness in radical, practical ways. Yes, these commands, they, they have been hard, but they are the reality to some measure for all who are truly resting and trusting in Jesus, or they are supposed to be the reality. Now, if you doubt that, or if you are prone, as I am, to simply hear these words of our Savior and then move on, Jesus ends his sermon here with one last powerful and poignant and penetrating, all those words, warning to us, okay? He gives us one last call to remind us that what he is saying in all of this, he is very serious about. And you see that there in verse 46. This is a verse that all of those who are just nominally Christian need to hear. This is a verse that all of us who are here today, we need to hear. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? 
Jesus here reminds us that the best test of our true conversion is not evidenced in our great theological knowledge, though that's important. It's not evidenced in our feelings, but it is seen in the reality of all that he has said to us lived out in our daily walk. The evidence of true conversion is seen in our mercy. It's seen in our forgiveness. It's seen in our kindness because, friends, that is exactly what we have received, right? He has reminded us of that over and over again. We are only doing to others what Christ has done for us. As James says, it's not enough to simply be hearers of the word, but we are called to be doers of the word. What a challenge that is to our easy believism of the day. What a challenge that is to so many who, who have had an experience, a quote-unquote experience, but whose lives are the same, that they never truly change. Christ, he has not died. God has not raised him from the dead simply so that his teachings could be good advice for us. God has not crushed his only son so that we might pick and choose what we like of what he has to say. If he was willing to do that, then friends, he is serious about his commands. He is serious about how he wants his people to live. Christ has given himself freely so that God might fulfill that promise that he made in the Old Testament, that that he might be our God and we might be his people, a holy people, a righteous people transformed by every word that he has said to us. Here, Christ reminds us that that he is not simply an option on the table, but he is our worldview. He is our all in all. There is nothing. There is no one beside him. Not simply looking to him for, for good advice. We need him for everything, in everything, looking to him by faith, seeking to follow all of his commands, again, wherever he may lead us. Now, Jesus here, he gives us two illustrations that help us see the the grounds of all of this, the the grounds of our doing. Uh, He gives us illustrations that help us see the, the evidence of our conversion And he gives us an illustration that helps us see the the foundation, the benefit of doing all of these things that that Jesus has said. And so that's what I want us to consider today. But but as we move through this passage, friends, I want to challenge you, even as I challenge myself, to, to search your heart. Search your heart as you hear these words of Jesus. As we come out of Luke chapter 6, where we have seen over and over again difficult Hard ground, hard commands, commands that that challenge us to our very core. As we come out of that, search your heart and ask, am I a doer of the word? Am I simply hearing what Jesus has to say and moving on? Or am I hearing it? Am I taking it in? Am I seeking to live by his truths? Well, let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see here in this passage is the grounds of of our doing, the grounds of our doing. And you see it there in verse 45. Now, look, I realize that I'm kind of all over the place here in this passage, but I think that's okay. I think it'll help us to see it in an orderly way because here Christ identifies the the source of a person's moral position. And what is that? 
It's his heart, right? He says it is from the heart that evil comes. It is from the heart that good comes. And he reminds us that our actions, that that is the source of all of our actions. Now, often as people in a modern world, when we hear about the heart or when we hear about the, the center of a person's being, we think of it in very worldly terms, right? You know, we've all heard that motivational speech. Just, just follow your heart. We've all heard the, the song, uh, listen to your heart. I think it says before it tears you apart. But anyway, don't, I don't know if it'll do that. But we, we act as if our hearts are a sure guide or, or if they are a compass to, to help us navigate life. But the Bible, it, it's a lot less optimistic about our hearts, right? Consistently, it reminds us that, that in our natural state, we have hearts of stone. That we have inherited a sinful nature from Adam, a heart that is so often like those people in Noah's day who, who only sought evil continually all the time. Remember the prophet in Jeremiah 17, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things, so deceitful that, that who can even understand it? Who can even grasp it? The truth is, is there's nothing magical or maybe even desirable about following our hearts. They're selfish. They seek after their own good, and they're constantly looking to turn away from the Lord. It's our heart and its natural state that causes us to reject His law, to reject His ways. Paul even recognizes that the good intentions of his heart, they were rubbish. They were filthy rags. Our moral position is skewed, and it is skewed the wrong way. And so if we are to follow Christ in all that he has commanded us here, if we are to change the, the evil intentions of our heart to good, then it is clear that, that we need a miraculous work. We need someone to enter in and do that work for us. Well, of course, redemption, that's exactly what Christ has done in redemption, right? He is the one who is able to take our hearts of stone and to turn them into one living hearts of flesh. He is the only one who can cause us to know and to love God's word as we should. He, he is the only one who can teach us to fear and to trust, which is the beginning of wisdom. He is the only one who can do what we need if we are to follow Jesus step after step. He's the one who can allow us to begin not to trust so much our hearts, but the one whom we find there in our hearts. Now, look, I realize for most of us here, this is, this is Christianity 101. Friends, it's important to begin here at the source. Because if this part, if the heart is not right, then all that I, is going to follow is going to make very little difference. He says from the evil treasure... Of your heart comes evil things. If our heart is not converted, then our actions, no matter how good intention they may be, they are evil. Many may seem to talk the talk. Many may seem to walk the walk. But the question is always, have they truly been changed? Friends, you think back uh, to kind of the parallel passage of this in Matthew chapter 7. And again, I invite you to turn over there with me. You know these words. But there, Jesus gives us, again, what is an intimidating passage. In verse 21, 
He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Friends, let's pause right there just for a second. I, I don't know about y'all, but, but I've never done those things. This is amazing things that these people are able to do in the name of the Lord. They prophesy. They cast out demons. They perform miracles. I'll be honest. If, if I knew someone who could do those things, who had done those things, I would be prone to think that they were following the Lord. But notice what he says there in verse 23. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Even their good deeds, deeds done in the name of the Lord, it was lawlessness. Why? Because their good actions came, their quote-unquote good actions came from an unchanged, unrepentant heart, a heart that did not truly know the Lord. Friends, if we are to bear much fruit, and that's what we're going to see next, and we must first ask, what is the position of my heart? Is it stone? Is it, is it constantly seeking only itself? Is it, is it seeking the things that are contrary to God's word? Or is it a heart of flesh made that way by the Savior? Is it looking to Jesus over and over again? Not, not to its own success, but only to the success that Jesus can give us. Well, friends, that's the ground. That's the source of our doing. Secondly, I want you to see the evidence of conversion, the evidence of conversion. You see it there in verses 43 and 44. You know, like a good tree, Jesus says, those who follow his word, they produce good fruit, and our actions will show the positions of our heart. Now, I realize that on some level it may seem like I'm talking in circles this morning, because I just spent a significant amount of time trying to, to convince you that our actions are not the source of our salvation, but a changed heart is the source of our salvation. And now here Jesus seems to say that our actions do matter, that they are important. And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, both are true. Good actions only come from a repentant, changed heart. Those actions don't save us. They come from hearts that overflow with love, with gratitude, with Jesus. And the reality is here is if we have been changed, then friends, our lives will bear the fruit of that. We will love. We will care. We will treat others with kindness. There will be joy and self-control. All those things that, that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, right? The, the fruits of the Spirit. We will be changed. Think back to, to John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me does what? He bears much fruit. What happens to those, those vines that don't bear fruit? Father prunes them, right? He doesn't just leave them there. He prunes them away. The whole point is if we are attached to the true vine, friends, we will bear that fruit. Now, this is true in every area of our lives, but it seems to be particularly true here with regards to this passage with our tongues. Look at verse 45 again. He says, uh, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I was telling Ben earlier in the week, it seems to me that, that James, he, he really heard this portion of Jesus' teaching, and he took it to heart. Because we've already seen him say, you've got to be doers of the word. But if you turn to James chapter 3, and I encourage you to turn there because I'm going to read a pretty long passage out of it. James chapter 3, starting in verse 2, what else does he talk about? A, a significant amount. He talks about the tongue, right? He says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You think James was, was listening to Jesus' words there in Luke chapter 6? You think he heard that sermon and took it to heart? I think he did. I want you to hear what J.C. Ryle says about this. I think it's, it's uh, important. He says, let it be a settled principle again in our religion that when a man's general conversation is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that no one can know anything of a state of, a, of another's heart and that although men are living wickedly, they have not good hearts at the bottom. Such, such notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. Is the general tone of a man's communication carnal and worldly, irreligious, godless, or profane? Then let us understand that this is the state of his heart. When a man's tongue is generally wrong, it is absurd, no less unscriptural, to say that his heart is right. Friends, how aware, how concerned are we with the things that come out of our mouths? Men particularly in this room right now. How concerned are you with the things that, that come out of your mouth? You know, we men are generally quick to fall into the kind of conversations that are not necessarily the best kind of conversations. We're quick to tell those jokes we shouldn't tell. We're quick to say things that we shouldn't say. Friends, if we are all too ready to do that, and it may be a good indication that we need to turn to the Lord, that we need to examine our hearts. Friends, Christ has saved us so that we might produce good fruits, those fruits of the Spirit. The question, of course, in every area of our life, not just our mouths, every area, everywhere we are, are we producing those fruits? Are we, are we even if it's slow, even if it's a struggle, do we see the evidence of peace and love and self-control? 
Do we see patience and kindness and gentleness? Is there a joy that we have in living in Christ and following him, even these hard rules? If it's a struggle, first, let me welcome you to the club. It's a struggle for all of us. It is. Sanctification is a struggle. But also, let me remind you not to be discouraged. Because just like justification is an act of God's free grace, sanctification is too. We can look to Jesus, the one who has promised to complete the good work that he has started in us. And we can know that if we are resting in him, then friends, he will produce that fruit. He will produce the things that that he has set out for his people in our lives. And so we can trust him. We can look to him. We don't have to look to ourselves. We can look to Jesus and know that he will truly change us. Well, we've seen the grounds. We've seen the evidence. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to see the benefits of bearing much fruit for Christ. And you see it there in the parable that he gives us uh, in verses uh, 47 uh, through 49. Now, quickly, uh, there are three things that I, that I just want you to take note of in passing as we move through this little parable here. First, I want you to notice two very different foundations. Jesus says the, the man who hears his word and acts on them is a man who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. Now, I don't know much about building houses, but I did pour enough concrete one summer to know that what Jesus says here is true. You want to dig deep. You want to have a good, strong foundation. This man, he had to dig, and it probably cost him something. There was sacrifice involved to to get a foundation that is deep, that is strong. But he was willing to do it. Ultimately, he built on sure ground. He built on the rock. But the second man, notice... He doesn't act on God's word, and so he, he digs. Uh, he doesn't dig. He doesn't sacrifice. He builds on flat ground where there is no foundation at all. Now, which already, which two of these men do you want to be? You want to be the first, right? But that becomes even more evident when you see the second thing here in this passage. Not only do you see that the two foundations, but you see a sure storm, a storm that, that is coming, Right? It doesn't say when the storm came, when the torrent broke loose. Well, he doesn't say not if. He doesn't say in case of. He says when the storm came, when the torrent broke loose against the house. Friends, Christ doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it here. He doesn't make any bones about it. If we live long enough, the storms of life will come. We will lose that job. Our relationships will fall apart. We will get that diagnosis that that we did not want to get. That is the reality of living in a fallen world. The storms are coming. And thirdly, notice in this little parable, a sure result, two sure results. The man who digs deep, who laid the foundation, the man who heeded and followed God's word, his house was not shaken in those times of trouble. The waters broke loose. They pushed against it. But what happened? It stood. It stood strong. Doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. Doesn't mean that it wasn't overwhelming. Doesn't mean that there were times where he didn't want to throw in the towel. But the reality is at the end of the day, it stood because he was built on the one who says, I will not let you go. He was built on the one who said, I will not allow your foot to slip. 
Notice the man who had no foundation. When the torrent came, what happened? His house, it it immediately collapsed. And the ruin of it was great. Yes, it may have been built up high. It may have been built to the sky. It, It may have been extravagant. But when the storm came, there was nothing left. Friends, as we close, what or who are you building upon today? The truth is, is building on Christ will not always be easy. There are times, many times, where it will take sacrifice. It will require doing things that we never thought we would do. Hard things. It will require heeding every word that, that he has said to us, even those hard commands. But the reality is, is he is the only sure foundation, and he is the only one that can get us through these storms of life. Will you today, will you not only hear his word, but will you go forth from this place as doers of his word? Will you follow him? Will you bear much fruit for Christ today as we pray together? Father, we do ask that you would be pleased to to work in our hearts. Lord, the the reality is, is as we consider sanctification, as we consider the, the progress that we have made in our walk with you, Often it is difficult to see. We still struggle with our sinful flesh. We still struggle with those temptations that are with us. And so though we want to take steps forward, it seems that often we are only taking steps back. But the truth is, is he who has justified us is also he who sanctifies us. And he is also he who glorifies us. So we look to you with confidence. Trusting not in the work of our hands, not not in the things that we do, but trusting simply and only in Christ, knowing that he will complete that good work in us, that he will be faithful to prune us, to, to, to build good fruit, to produce good fruit in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we might do that so that as we go out into the world, uh, that others would see Jesus in us and that they would want to know the, the hope that we have Lord, we do pray that, that you would build us safely on that foundation. Lord, the, the many are here are experiencing the storms of life even now. We pray that, that you would remind us that when we trust in Jesus, though the waters come, though the fires come, we won't be overflowed. We won't be burned because our Savior is with us, and he will not allow our foot to slip. Lord, we cling to that promise today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In conclusion now of our